The following contains content that is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. The Devil and Mrs. Tremblay Written by Craig Moody Narrated by Jessica Caruso Seven. The baby moved more than ever. I found myself growing tired and annoyed at the constant disruption. Edgar had purchased enough dried meats, flour, and canned fruits and vegetables to last us at least another month or more. We needed spring to arrive, above all. Hopefully, the newly thawed ground would be more fertile than it had been in the past few years. Our daily routine was making me stir-crazy. We would rise early in the morning, consume a small breakfast, and then linger around the house, each tending to mindless chores. Edgar set up the nursery. He built everything by hand. Nothing was purchased. For whatever reason, I couldn't go into the room. I avoided it completely. I didn't want to see the crib or rocker. I didn't want to see the bassinet or handcrafted toys. I was tired of the baby moving so much. I wanted to be free of everything. Free of being pregnant. Free of Edgar. I wanted Joe. My boredom and impatience rekindled my rage. Would you just stop? I hollered at Edgar one night as he chatted endlessly about baby names. I don't want to talk about this no more. Edgar appeared stunned and disappointed. He obliged and stopped speaking. Did you fuck Molly Jefferson? I heard myself ask, my voice completely disconnected from my conscious mind. What? Edgar scoffed. I've told you this already, Edith. Damn it, I ain't never touched that woman, nor would I ever. That is just some crazy idea you put in your own head. I respect my marriage. I respect Bill. I would never touch his wife. I saw a faint teardrop glisten in his right eye, twinkling and dancing in the dim firelight. Joe told me you did, I continued. He told me twice. It's all in your head, Edith. No, I ain't listening to another word of, what if this baby is his? I asked, causing Edgar to lose his breath. I heard him gasp the moment the question fell from my lips. How would that be possible, Edith? He finally responded, his voice weak and quivering. You was with him too long ago for that to be possible. Was I? Edgar just stared. He looked wounded. The dance and teardrop fell down his face softly and silently. Edgar stood to his feet, turned his head toward the slow, crackling fireplace, and walked off into the shadows. I felt cold and frightened by what I had just done. I felt like I had no control over the things I was saying. I didn't want to hurt Edgar, yet I did so brazenly and with pure intent. I felt like there were two people inside of me battling for control. Every now and then, the dark shadow version of me would take control of my tongue and spew venom from my lips. 
carefully and precisely. I stayed in the living room that entire night. I never slept. I never went to bed. I sat alone, fearful that I was truly losing my mind. Molly came over the next day. Bill is sick as a dog, she huffed, settling herself at the kitchen table. I've been nursing him back to health for nearly a week now. I was starting to get cabin fever, so I snuck out while he was napping. I pray to God he gets better soon, not just for himself, but for my sanity. I managed a polite half-smile. What's the matter, hon? She finally asked when I failed to respond verbally to anything she was saying. You look a wreck. Have you been sleeping? No, I answered flatly. The baby keeps me up. This little devil moves more than a ground mole. Molly just stared at me. Now, hon, don't go calling your unborn child a devil, she stated, her tone heavy and serious. There ain't nothing funny about that. Well, that's what it is, I replied, just as serious. I don't want this baby, Molly. I don't want to be here no more. Molly's eyes widened and she darted her head around the room to be certain Edgar wasn't within earshot. Now you just stop all that right now, she commanded, lifting from her chair and moving to my side. What has gotten into you, Edith Trambley? Why are you talking this way? Because that's what I feel, Molly. I answered, no emotion matching my tone. I don't want to be a mama. I don't want to be with Edgar. I just want to find Joe. I want to be with Joe. Molly's expression darkened. You just stop that, she hissed, pushing her face directly into mine. Stop that now, you hear? I just stared back at her, zero remorse in my eyes. You're a married woman, have been for years. The Lord finally blesses you with a child and you're going to talk this way? What's God thinking with you down here all spoiled and unappreciative of his blessing? Go to hell, Molly Jefferson. I heard my voice say, my inflection gravelly, coarse, and nearly sinister. Fine, Edith, Molly finally replied after a moment of stunned hesitation. I won't be back. You have insulted me enough. I have done nothing but look out for you, comforted you. I took you in when your own husband cast you out. Rightfully so, too. You betrayed him, and heartily so. Allah's voice shook as she delivered her final words. You ain't nothing but a sad, lost, self-hating Jezebel, Edith Trembly. May God have mercy on you. I didn't reply, and I didn't follow her out as she stormed from the kitchen and out the front door. I never saw Molly Jefferson again. I hated myself. I spent nearly three hours in the tub that night just crying, sulking, and loathing everything about myself. I had hurt everyone around me, over and over, 
I was at fault. I was to blame. I thought about slipping under the bathwater and never coming up. Edgar pleaded with me to leave the tub. The water had long cooled and was starting to become dangerous. I knew he was more concerned about the baby than me. At least, that is what I believed. I'm sorry, Edgar. I whispered as it lifted me from the tub and dried my body. I felt embarrassed to apologize yet again, but I did so anyway. I held back my tears, though. I didn't want to overstay any emotional welcome. Edgar positioned me in the bed and disappeared downstairs. After an hour, I went to find him. I found him asleep on the sofa. My stomach lurched and tied itself in knots. I tried resistance, but I just had to wake him. I needed to know why he had abandoned me upstairs. Wake up, Edgar, I said loudly, my voice thundering through the cold, still air. He jolted awake. What's wrong? He croaked. Is it the baby? I felt a tinge of jealousy and anger. It's me, Edgar, I huffed. Why aren't you sleeping in the bed with me? Why have you left me up there alone? He just looked at me for what felt like hours before finally clearing his throat and carefully choosing his words. I don't know what to do anymore, Edith, he confessed. You won't let me in. Every time I try to forgive you, every time I try to let go of what you've done to me and move on, you bring it all back up and stab me right in the heart with it. I stood silently as a few tears fell down his cheeks. I love you, Edith. You know I do. I ain't never loved no one the way I love you. His voice choked from his crying, which quickened in pace. But I know you don't love me the same. I wanted to fall to my knees and weep at his feet. I wanted to tell him that everything he was saying wasn't true. I wanted to ease his pain. I wanted to comfort him, but I couldn't, as much as I wanted to. I couldn't help but just stand and stare down at him, my cold, callous position, my only power in this moment. Fine, I said. Good night. I could hear Edgar sobbing in the darkness. Alone in our marital bed, I fumed and raged. I thought about Joe and pondered a life with him. I wondered in the blackness if he still thought about me. The silence between Edgar and I rivaled the relentless chill of the outside snow. We avoided each other as much as possible. I found myself lying in bed for hours at a time. Sometimes I felt remorseful and would attempt to speak with Edgar even just small talk, but he would hardly engage. Instead, days morphed into weeks and we lived our lives in separate solitudes. No one came to the house anymore. Molly kept her word. Bill would only pass by on his way to town, opting to remain in his truck and chat with Edgar outside. I am sure Molly had warned him to steer clear of me. My boredom and self-isolation soon gave way to ceaseless bouts of pure anger. 
hoping to stir Edgar's attention, I would scream and throw things around the bedroom. Edgar never took the bait. He would make himself known downstairs by coughing or clearing his throat, but he would never give in to my tantrums. Finally, after nearly a full month of silence, he told me to come down and take a phone call. You need to come now, he commanded. It's long distance, it's your mama. My heart skipped a beat. I hadn't spoken to my mother in years. Hello? I croaked into the telephone receiver. Edith Ann, my mother bellowed. You listen here and you listen good. That man is a saint for putting up with you all these years. I know what a spoiled brat you are and what sort of nightmare you are to be around. You need to stop all this nonsense and come to your senses. Edgar wrote to me. He's told me about what's going on down there. He told me about your affair. I can't tell you how sick I am about it. Ashamed. I can't tell you the shame. Your daddy is rolling in his grave knowing what sort of childlike monster you still are. It's no wonder Beverly and I never invite you out here. We can't have all that nonsense going on with her kids here and all. I left Oklahoma knowing that man would take good care of you, look after you, and keep you safe. Now here you are carrying some stranger's baby, and yet he still loves you. He still don't toss you out in the cold. You deserve to be Edith. You don't deserve that good man. I stared at Edgar in silence as my mother continued to berate me through the miles of telephone wire between us. I felt my face scrunch up in a mixture of sadness and rage. I dropped the receiver and I bolted for the stairs. I slammed the door, locked it, and didn't come out again for days. Edgar eventually coaxed me downstairs to eat. I was dehydrated and hungry. I had been in bed for nearly two days straight. This has got to end, Edith. He finally spoke, standing over me as I munched on some toast and downed several glasses of water. I only contacted your mama to try and help talk some sense into you. You won't listen to me, Molly, or even Brother Tom. You're so stuck in your head and all these imagined conversations with people and whatnot. He took a slow, deep breath. I don't need to know if this baby belongs to me or not. He continued, his voice wavering with emotion. I love it no matter what. You're my wife, so that baby is mine in the sight of God. I didn't reply. I simply munched away and stared. I felt no emotion at all from anything Edgar was saying or revealing. I knew I should be grateful that he accepted the unborn child, despite the honest fact that it belonged to Joe. Still, I felt nothing. I just wanted him to stop talking and leave me be. Eventually, he did just that, but not before making one final request. All I ask is that you try, Edith, he said in a half-whisper. Try to be a good mama. Try to be happy. 
I heard him choke back a sob. Try to love me. I watched him shuffle from the kitchen, out the front screen door, and into the yard. Finally, I was able to finish my toast in peace. When I awoke that night, just after two in the morning, I lay awake for several minutes, just pondering the circumstances of my life. I did love Edgar, but more as a father figure than a husband. I was still in love with Joe, even though I knew he didn't love me. I still secretly wished he would return and take me away with him. I imagined he had run away to someplace vibrant and exciting. I imagined him in Dallas, Fort Worth, or perhaps even as far north as Chicago. I smiled as I thought of him, or found my hands exploring my body at the memory of our passion. Suddenly, I felt the urge to visit the window. It had been weeks since I had last seen the fireballs. I was afraid to see them again, so I avoided the window. Now, though, I couldn't resist and found myself shuffling over the cold floorboards toward the frost-covered glass. In the beam of the near full moon, I saw the figure huge and looming in the middle of the snow-covered yard. For the first time, I could make out more of the features. The legs were stout and curved, bow-legged. They appeared to be covered with hair or even fur. The midsection was exposed flesh, the arms long, the hands claw-like, the head... I screamed and stumbled backward. My brain was unable to process what I had just witnessed. Too afraid to look again, I ran to the bed and fumbled to cover myself. The only thing I could recall were the searing red fireballs. Slowly, I began to understand that they were eyes. The next morning, I heard Edgar on the telephone for several hours. He was desperately calling around trying to find more hired help for the fast-approaching spring. As soon as the ground thawed, it would be time to plant the year's crops. Still frightened by what I had seen the night before, my mind still unable to fully absorb and process the vision of the figure's head, I made my way downstairs and into the kitchen. I sat in silence until Edgar ventured into the room. Huh? He stated, his eyes shifting nervously over mine. You all right? Fine, I nodded, my voice weak and shallow. Want me to fix you something? No. I shook my head. I'm okay. Edgar pulled the chair from under the table and sat down. After a large sigh, several minutes of silence, and a rhythmic tapping on the tabletop, he finally spoke. I've been thinking about moving us away from here, he announced, his eyes focused on his hands. I can't find any help. We're running low on money. The ground just ain't producing like it used to and won't. I just don't think I can handle another year. 
My back still ain't right, and without the boy here to... He cut himself short. Point is, we're gonna starve here if we can't produce this year. With the baby coming, I just can't risk that. So where will we go? I asked the excitement of endless possibilities, lifting my voice into a near song. Well, I was thinking about heading west. Maybe to Arizona or California. My brother Roy works for the government out that way. I wrote to him, asking if he thought it was possible for me to get a job out there. It's my only other option, other than heading north someplace. The thought of moving to California caused me a moment of panic. I don't want to be near my mama or sister, I confessed. I can't. Edgar eased his hand over mine. We wouldn't go where they are, Edith, he confirmed in a soothing tone. California's a big place, huge. There would be plenty of room for all of us. I laughed along with him. For the first time in ages, I felt attracted to Edgar. His handsome face, though weary and ragged, was still something that tugged at my inner core. I felt an unsettling confusion creep into my brain. I often wondered just what I really felt for my husband. On one hand, I was in love with him, but in a way I couldn't fully explain or describe... On the other hand, I assumed I loved him as I would my father, my own daddy dead and gone for so long now. My love and attraction for Joe was so different than what I had ever felt for Edgar, which offered an ongoing bout of doubt and confusion that haunted me as much as the red nighttime fireballs. Edgar, I swallowed the nervousness of my voice. I am seeing that thing out the window again. Edgar's face fell from excitement to what appeared to be sadness, even disappointment. I saw it, again, just last night. I can't tell you how much it put a fright in me. I can't even tell you what the face... I felt myself become sick, and I started to retch. Edgar ran to fetch a bowl. This is another reason why I want to get you out of this place. He continued, stroking my hair as I spit into the bowl. This place just ain't good for your mind. I know I get crazy sometimes, too. I see things that ain't there. I hear things. I lifted my head and looked straight into Edgar's eyes, the same woeful glance I had been looking at for over 15 years. I think it's the devil. I heard myself say as plain and certain as I would speak my own name. I think the devil is coming for me, Edgar. Coming for the baby. I just feel it. Edgar's face twisted into a mix of anger and confusion. Just stop all that now, Edith, he shouted, moving to the kitchen doorway. You're scaring me with all that. They ain't nothing coming. They ain't nothing out there. But Molly, I said clear my throat. <clears throat> she told me a storm was coming. She pulled the devil up in her cards. I think the storm is the devil. It's all coming, just as she said. The devil is coming for me in a mighty storm. I knew it, Edgar shouted, his face pulled tight by his expression. That damn Molly Jefferson and those cards. I knew someone had to have put all this into your head. I told Bill to take and burn those damn things when he first mentioned them to me. Ain't nothing good will ever come from messing with stuff like that. 
That damn woman is just conjuring all sorts of... He took a breath and ran out of the house. Nearly 30 minutes later, he returned, announcing he had told Molly Jefferson off. In the midst of the heated encounter, Bill had thrown a punch at Edgar. Now both Molly and Bill wanted nothing more to do with us. We were truly alone out here in the Oklahoma nothingness, isolated within a barrier of endless rolling fields. Hi, I'm Craig Moody, and I want to thank you for listening to Craig Moody's Novel Bites. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast to be notified when the latest episodes are released. Print and digital editions of my previous titles are available through all major retailers. For more information or for links to my social media, please visit craig-moody.com. Until next time.